Would you pray with me one more time? Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help me now to speak, to preach your word with sincerity and truth. Pray as well for these people, that you would give them good, honest hearts to receive your word. And in so doing, take your eternal, holy, inerrant word and write it on our hearts. Amen and amen. Allow me to begin by addressing the young ones in the room. If you are 18 or younger, I dare guess that you've heard these words recently. Are you listening to me? (laughs) If you're a parent, you've said those words. Are you listening to me? I admit that as a grown man, married man, I still hear those words more often than I probably should. Are you listening to me? It's interesting to me that sound waves can move through the room, hit your eardrums and vibrate and send a message to your mind and stimulation happens but, and you hear, but nonetheless we don't hear. Right? Where where does this phrase come from? In one ear and out the next. This is an interesting phenomenon that Jesus is fully aware of. Did you notice there in verse 18 what we just read? Take care how you hear. Allow me to read the next few verses as well after what we just read. Verse 19. If you have your Bible, look at verse 19 as well. After Jesus said these things, his mother and his brother came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. That's the simple point of these two passages. Number one, an injunction, a command. Verse 18, take care how you hear. Take care how you hear. As we heard last week in verse 8, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is drilling down on this concept of hearing, yet people not hearing. But there's a reward if you do hear in verse 21. You see that? My mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. And so that's the simple outline for today's message. There's a command from Jesus. Take care how you hear. That comes with a reward. If you hear the word of God and do it, Jesus will count you as his brother and his sister, as it says there in verse 21. Everything else is driving to that point. Take care how you hear. And if you do, Jesus will call you his mother, his brother, his sister, his father, a family member with Jesus himself. And so in a lot of ways, in every way imaginable, today's message is a carry-on from last week. Last week, the message was on hearing the word of God. Let me just remind you, if you look back through the previous passage in your Bible, verse 8, as I just read, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And then in verse 10, He speaks of those who hear but do not under, 
stand. Then he explains the parable that we heard last week in verse 12. Those along the path are those who have heard. Verse 13, the ones on the rocks are those who, when they hear. And verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 14, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. And then verse 15, and as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word of God. So this whole section in Luke is focused on one thing, hearing. Those who hear, but tragically don't hear. And then those who hear and produce fruit. And so Jesus' conclusion is simply this. <laughs> Take care, my friends, how you hear. And so the question is, how can you be a part of Jesus' family? By taking care, how you hear, everything else is driving to that. So let's begin. Now let's begin with this concept of take care how you hear. Why does Jesus say that? Jesus says that because the kingdom of God has come. Do you notice that in chapter 8, verse 1 last week, or this is two weeks ago actually, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And then equally then in verse 8 and 9, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Everything Jesus is doing, he's going around teaching and preaching in order to explain the kingdom and what is the kingdom and how do I understand the kingdom and how can I be part of the kingdom and what are the consequences if I don't enter into the kingdom. And so what is the kingdom? The kingdom is the reign of God over the entire world whereby the anointed king now takes back territory and people from the powers of darkness. Jesus taught in his day that the world had been, un been under a spiritual oppression, a blindness, and a deafness for millennia. And then with the coming of Jesus... The anointed king, King Jesus himself, everywhere he goes and teaches and preaches and does miracles, he's taking back territory from the powers of darkness. And principally and climactically, when he goes to the cross and he dies for sinners and forgives them of their sins and then comes back to life on the third day, he is bringing the turning of the ages. In other words, there's a new historical epoch that we enter into with Jesus, whereby the forces of darkness, the power of Satan is weakened and the word of God goes forward as Jesus claims for himself people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And the dawn of that was in Jesus' preaching, which has been continuing now for 2,000 years. Here we are in central Indiana, which is the sticks, which is way out in the frontier compared to Jerusalem of Jesus' day. In fact, it's a whole world unknown to Jesus. But here we are. Here we are. A people, collectively, Jews, Gentiles, mostly Gentiles, worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because over the ages, the word of God has borne the fruit a hundredfold around the globe. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. And I go out of my way to point that out because... That's where Jesus begins in verse 16. Take a look at verse 16. What is he talking about? What, what is this? It's kind of a riddle, isn't it? No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter it 
may see the light, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. What, what is he talking about here? What, what is this about? This is about, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came along, God had kept things secret, his secret will. What is he doing throughout the ages? Daniel 12 talks particularly about this. Daniel is the great uh, receiver of dreams, and he's able to interpret other people's dreams. But then right at the end of the book, God says, there's some things you can't know. I'm going to keep those things secret for a little while, but then they will be brought to light. Then they will be brought to light. And that's what Jesus is saying here. As I travel about, as I spread the word of the kingdom, God's secrets are being opened up and made known. The things that were in the darkness are now brought to light. You see that particularly in verse 17. When he says, nor is anything secret that will not be made known. What's the secret? Well, look back at verse 10. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Therefore, every time Jesus preaches and he's announcing the kingdom of God and describing the kingdom of God, he is unveiling secrets that God has had throughout the ages. And so Jesus is telling us this is a critical turning point in history, a real pivot point. Everything that God has been doing has been building up to this point right here. And I now am opening it up so that you can see or equally so that you can hear about the kingdom. And so when Jesus says in verse 18, Take care then how you hear. He goes on to say, for the one who has, more will be given. What does he have? What do we have to which God will give us more if we take care and hear? Well, again, jump back to our previous passage. And in verse 8, Again, Jesus says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So if you have ears to hear, it's because God has given you such ears to hear. And to see the glory of God in the gospel and the kingdom of God and to believe. And the gift to you will be to give you more. To give you even more. And so the point here in verse 8, as well as in verse uh, 15 and uh, through 18, really, take care how you hear, is that the kingdom of God has arrived and a new world has begun. And there will be that fourth soil. Do you remember the fourth soil from last week? There was the first soil where the seed of the word fell and people just wouldn't listen at all. And then there was two seeds that fell on either rocky or thorn-infested lands. But then there is this fourth soil. The fourth soil that puts forth fruit a hundredfold. Now just think about that for a minute. If you were a farmer living in Jesus' day, and someone said to you, I have a seed, that if you put it in the ground, it'll bring forth a hundredfold crop, you would think this person's crazy, right? <laughs> Don't give that person any of your money. However, Jesus is not being silly here. He's echoing Genesis 26, verse 12. Now, what happens in Genesis 26, verse 12? 
What happens in Genesis 26, verse 12? In Genesis 26, 12, some of you are turning there, and I applaud you for that. Jacob harvests plants in the land, and he receives back a hundredfold crop right there in the same year. The point here is that when Jacob comes into the land, you understand, he is able to do something that looks and feels like the Garden of Eden. It's a memory back to the Garden of Eden. The time when humanity was in the perfect presence of God, no sin, perfect relationship and fellowship with each other, and everything in the world was as it should be. So lush and productive was the Garden of Eden. And so Jacob, in his momentary sowing in the land, has a little retaste of what the Garden of Eden was. But it's not just nostalgia. It's not just nostalgia. The point of that is to point forward. There will come a time when the world will again produce a hundredfold crop from the land. And we will re-enter into a Garden of Eden state. In the presence of God and with one another in a perfect world with no sin. And what Jesus is saying is, when I go out and I sow the seed and people believe, they hear the word, it is as though the new creation is starting. A new experience of the Garden of Eden amongst the people who hear the word of God. No, it's not a perfect world. There's still hurricanes and so forth. But nonetheless, to re-enter into the presence of God, to have fellowship with each other, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with the Father, the gift of the Spirit, and communion of the saints is a foretaste even now of the new creation. And that's what Jesus is saying. I am bringing this new world even right now. And so there will be the fourth soul. There will be those who hear. There will be a hundredfold crop among the nations. And so therefore, when Jesus says in verse 18, take care then how you hear, what he's basically saying is, don't you want to be part of that harvest? Don't you want to be part of that world? I am, Jesus is saying, I am the sower, and you are the fruit. And to be part of that fruit, to be counted among that harvest, take care how you hear, because you want to be a part of this kingdom. In other words, you want to be a part of my family. You want to be counted among my brothers and my mothers and brothers and fathers and sisters. And so, take care then how you hear. That was the theology. Now let's, get, now let's get practical. How do you hear? How do you hear the word of God? I've uh, meditated and concluded that there are uh, over a dozen ways you can mishear the word of God that you can hear in a sloppy way, in an irresponsible way, and count yourself even among the first three soils, soils that don't produce fruit. But I'm only going to give you seven. I'm only going to give you seven. Okay? Number one, you can ignore the Word of God. You can ignore the Word of God. When the Bible is read, when the Bible is spoken, when the Bible is preached, just because you're in the room doesn't necessarily mean you're in the room. I'm a teacher, I'm an educator, and I tell my students on the first day of class when we go over the syllabus that you must be present for every class, physically and mentally, 
That means you have to be here and be focused. Now, how can the teacher tell if someone's focused? Oh, we can tell. <laughs> oh, we can tell. More so than ever today, there are giveaways in your hand, right? And, and when, when I'm just saying something very casual, someone's taking down strenuous notes, you're not taking down notes on your laptop. You're writing somebody else an email or shopping on, on eBay or something, okay? So focus. Don't simply ignore the word of God. When is the sermon over? I'm just here for the songs. Or let's, let's get on to communion and get out of here. Be careful that you don't hear what you're basically ignoring. Number two, you can hear with scoffing. Scoffing. Obviously, unbelievers do this. Visit us on a Sunday morning. Maybe you're an unbeliever here today, and you already heard me talk about the resurrected Jesus. What are these crazy people talking about resurrected dead men? Okay? Don't hear with scoffing. Take seriously what we're saying. Heaven and hell are on the line. And think deeply about what's said from this pulpit, whether it's me today or Tommy some other week. But Christians can also listen with scoffing too. Sitting in judgment of the preacher. Why does he say it that way? He's missing the point of the passage. Where are the illustrations and application and so on and so forth? There's a way that Christians too sit with a kind of skepticism and scoffing under judgment of the word. Don't be a scoffer. Don't be a mocker. Be careful how you hear. Take care how you hear. Number three, you can listen, you can hear selectively. Selectively. There are parts of the sermon that are encouraging and uplifting and fit into your already preformed worldview real neatly. We like those because they build us up. I knew I was right about that. But then there are challenging parts, or easily say, oh, he's, the preacher's overstating his case, or he's hyper-conservative, or he's liberal, or something like that. A lot of ways to justify and sweep away the parts of the sermon or the parts of the Word of God you don't like. Don't hear selectively. Number four, you can hear with impatience, hearing with impatience thinking about what's next today. What's for lunch? When are the colts on? Etc. This is the moment. Now is the time that you need to focus. The word of God is coming at you now from the text and from the preacher. Our world has deceived us into thinking that we can multitask. That I can do multiple things on my computer and hold a conversation, and read this thing, and listen to the radio all at the same time, you can't multitask. You cannot. Your brain only has so much uh, uh, RAM or hard drive or whatever metaphor you would use for focusing. And so the more that you carve off to focus on something else is the less you give attention to the other things. And so right now is the time to forget about yesterday, to forget about the rest of today. The rest of today will come. Don't sweat that. But right now is the opportunity to focus with patience. In fact, verse 15 ends that way. <laughs> Hear the word of God, hold it fast with an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Hear now the word of God. Number five, you can hear the word of God with greedy self-interest. Greedy self-interest. There is a 
false gospel, a pseudo-gospel that I think we've invented in this country and to my great sorrow exported it to other countries called the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that basically teaches, look, here's what God really wants for you, to be healthy, to be rich, and prosperous. Health, wealth, prosperity, wealth and prosperity, I guess, are the same thing, right? That's what God really wants for you. And so if you're not healthy, if you're not raking in the big bucks, something's wrong, and there's a word from God, or if you just believe it, or grab onto it, or pray hard enough, or believe hard enough, you can bring that kind of prosperity to your life. What God wants for you is to re-enter into the Garden of Eden, as I mentioned, and re-experience again a relationship with God and with each other in perfect fellowship and communion and forgiveness of sins, right? But because we're so affluent already in the West, in other words, we're all very prone to be the third, the third soil. Do you remember the third soil from last week? The temptation of riches, right? We're therefore easily... Uh, easily refocused on, well, why aren't I as affluent as my neighbor? Or when am I going to get a raise? Surely that's what God wants from me. And then we can listen for those kinds of promises, reappropriate them in a way that simply fits our greedy hearts rather than hear what God really has to say for us. A subtler form of this uh, is the refrigerator. The refrigerator is a wonderful invention. I own two of them. Some would say I visit them too often. But don't they kind of teach us? Doesn't the presence of the refrigerator really teach us that we have everything under control? When have you worried about, when was the last time you worried about your next meal? Right? We have so many technologies, the refrigerator just being one of them, that makes our lives so easy. And we have everything so under control. We're able to control the temperature in this room. We're able to go to other places in the city or in the country very fast. We're able to get food whenever we want it. It's very easy to believe that we have everything under control. And therefore, what? Neglect our need of God. That we actually need the Lord to sustain our every breath. And then equally to neglect our need to hear his word also. So be careful that the technologies and the toys of our world don't narcotize you, put you to sleep, and drug you to inattentiveness to your need to hear the word of God. What number are we on? Are we on number six? Thank you. You are hearing well. Number six. You can hear with complacency. You can hear with complacency. Where you basically say to yourself, oh, I've heard all this before. Say something new. Don't I know all this already? Don't we all know all this already? Don't hear with that kind of complacency. Peter writes in 1 Peter, I thought to write you of something new, but instead I wrote to remind you of the gospel. Peter thinks, Peter's the apostle. Peter knows some things. So he could tell the congregation something. He says, no, I'm just going to remind you of the gospel. Six and a half days, you are being deceived into another worldview and another way of thinking. It's time to remind you of the true story, the true lot of humanity, and the true end and goal of humanity, and creation and history. Number seven, you can hear with peer pressure or parent pressure. Peer pressure or parent pressure. How am I supposed to respond? 
What are others expecting of me? How can I put on the right face or act the right way to fit in and be perceived the way I want to be perceived in uh, the peer group? Or what are my parents expecting me to say or to do? When you hear the word of God read, spoken, or preached, it's time to do business with God. Not with those to the left of you and to the right of you. So take care how you hear. Seven ways that we can hear poorly. How then do we hear well? Conversely, what can we do to positively take care how you hear? The answer is very simple. Verse 15. Again, back to the previous passage. As for those of the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast with an honest and good heart. That's the difference. The difference is the heart and whether the heart is prepared to hear the word of God. So the short answer is prepare your heart before you hear the word. Jesus, the great teacher here, is telling you that, look, the exact same seed falls on the same ground. Everybody hears the same thing. But the question is, what kind of soil receives it? How is the ground prepared in advance? So prepare your heart. And how do we do that? Number one, pray. Pray. Saturday night, Sunday morning, find a minute. That'll be enough. Five minutes is better. As much time as you can to pray. And understand this from verse 10. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. Equally, verse 18, take care, for the one who has, more will be given. The good hearing heart, the ears that hear, are a gift from God. We don't create them ourselves. The, the Bible is clear on this. The prophets speak of this often. I will give them new hearts. And Jesus is clear right here that the hearing ears are a gift from God. Therefore, what do we do? We pray. Oh God, give me ears to hear. Change the metaphor. Give me eyes to see. Give me a heart to believe. Cultivate this soil. So when the word falls, the fruit will come forth. Pray that prayer. Again, do not be so self-reliant and so self-dependent that you neglect your need of God to give you the ears to hear to give you the heart to receive the word. Number two, what can you do to hear the word well? Take care to hear the word. Number two, read the passage that will be preached the day before. Every week in the weekly email, it is announced what will be this week's sermon passage. And uh, it's not hard to figure out. It's the next passage in Luke, okay? Read it. Read it. Read it the night before. Read it when you wake up in the morning. You all know what an appetizer is. When you go to the restaurant and you sit down, you, you see the appetizer section on the menu, and it's always the best stuff. And you know you want one. You want one of those appetizers. And then you look at the price, and you say, oh, no, I better not do that. It was a free appetizer. To get your appetite ready for the real meal, get your free appetizer. Read the passage the night before, the morning of, 
and prepare your appetites to receive the word. Number three, how do we hear well the word of God? How do we take care? This one's more difficult, but I think you can do it. In James chapter 1, verse 21, listen to these words. Write that down and meditate on this later. But hear me now. James 1.21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word with which is able, which is able to save your souls. Do you hear the connection there? Receive the implanted word. How? First, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now I wonder what James thought was filthy and wicked in his day. But you can draw your own conclusions of what James would think of our world today. James did not have the internet or television or the kinds of movies we have. But there are some movies, shows, and websites that you, O oh Christian, should not be viewing because they are wicked and they are filthy. And James is telling you that they are inhibiting your ability to receive the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Translation, when the word is sown, when the seed is cast, your heart can be so hard from worldly entertainments that it's a hard ground and the word just bounces right off. So put those things away. And you know what I'm talking about. But it may be a little bit closer to home for most of us. I'm increasingly surprised to hear that the kinds of television shows that unbelievers watch Believers also watch that there's significant overlap between worldly entertainments that are suggestive, immodest, and pushing the boundaries of pornography that just come across the television. You don't have to go looking for it. It's just there. And that we indulge in these kinds of shows as much as unbelievers too. What James is saying, which I think is following on Jesus' teaching, Put that stuff away. By putting that stuff away, you're preparing your heart to receive the implanted word. Number four, how do, you, how do you take care how to hear the word? Bring a Bible to church. Simple. Bring a Bible to church. Nearly everything I'm saying is coming out of this passage. Tommy does the same thing. The more you're able to look down into the scriptures and see it for yourself, and be convinced that what I'm hearing is the word of God, not just, you know, someone's opinion, the more it will stick to your bones. Bring a Bible to church. Bring a Bible to church. Have it in your lap. I've never seen anybody take the free Bible when it's offered. Take it. Take the free Bible. And bring it back with you next week. Number five. How do you take, take care how you hear? This one's a little more vague. Figure yourself out. <laughs> Figure yourself out. What does it take for you to hear well? Uh, when, when, when I was a teacher in high school, there was one young lady, she would draw something in every class. And I would say, you know, you really, 
you really need to listen in, in, in class and pay attention. She said, I am. That's what helps me stay focused, this kind of engagement between what you're saying and what's on the page. Said, okay, okay. Then she got great grades on the test, so I believed her, right? So maybe I'm going to draw something, but do you take notes? A friend of mine told me only a week ago that he's been taking notes since he was 17 because he just could not focus. He heard a sermon similar to this, so he started taking notes. He was well into his 60s now, and so he's got 50 years worth of notes that he's never thrown away, and he's kept them. Now, I don't think you need to keep them all, but what he was saying is, as I get out a piece of paper, and I listen, and I write down some of the things of, that I'm hearing, it forces me to focus. Other people, they could never do that. They don't want to have a piece of paper and a pen in front of them. In fact, Roger says, don't do that. Just, just listen. Just be there. That can be, equally be a distraction. So who, what, what kind of learner are you? Do you need to write something down? Do you not need to write something down? Is one a distraction? Is one helpful? Figure yourself out. And figure this out as well. How much sleep do you need? How much sleep do you need on a Saturday night? And then simply do the math. When do I have to wake up to have plenty of time to read today's passage and to pray a little and to get ready in every way I have to get ready? Back up that number of hours and then make sure you go to bed. Make sure you go to bed. I heard someone say recently that going to bed is actually harder than waking up. Are you sure about that? Going to bed is harder than waking up? And he said, yeah, think about it. When, when you wake up in the morning, it's because your alarm clock forced you to get up. You have somewhere to be. You got to be at work. You got to be at church. You got to be somewhere. So something is forcing you out of bed. But at night, at night, nothing is forcing you to bed. To the contrary, there are all kinds of siren calls of other games to play, shows to watch, something to read, something to do before you go to bed. Well, the need to take care how you hear should set off an alarm in your mind on Saturday night. It's time to go to bed. So if you find yourself drowsy or sleepy on Sunday morning, don't let the devil have his way with you exactly what he wants. Rather, find the time to go to bed. Pray. Read the passage in advance. Put away all filthiness and wickedness from before your eyes. Have a Bible in your lap and know yourself. Figure out whatever it takes in your way of listening to focus when the word of God is preached. Because as I mentioned, as I already said, verse 18 the one who has, more will be given. You will be given more ears to hear. That's the promise. More of the word of God, more of the truth, more of the glory of God. If you have first ears to hear. However, verse 18 goes on with a very clear warning. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. What does he think he has that would be taken away? And why would God do that? Well, God actually doesn't do it. Who does it? Satan does it. Look back at verse 12. And the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and, there it is, see that? Takes away the word from their hearts. So they may not believe, and they may not be saved. 
Jesus is saying, listen, you take care how you hear, and the Lord will reward you with more ears to hear. However, if you don't take heed, if you don't take care, even what you think you have, I think I have salvation. I think I hear the word of God. I think I'm a member of this church without any real attention or belief in the word of God. That will be taken away. In other words, if you ignore the word of God, you will become even deafer. And if you continue to turn away from the word of God, you will become even blinder. And so therefore, when the word of God is read, spoken, or preached, or however else it comes to you, right? Spiritual warfare is happening right away. The devil is there to take it away. The troubles of this world and the deceitfulness of riches are there to snuff it out and choke it out. So Jesus says, listen, I'm giving you the word of God. Take care how you hear. As many of you know, I hope you know. If you don't know, now you will. Uh, I'm the president of Indianapolis Theological Seminary. What is a seminary? The seminary is a place where we try to eradicate boring preaching. That's what a seminary is. What do, what do you do there? We're trying to eradicate boring preaching. So I've given my life to make boring preaching less common because boring preaching is a reality. Boring preaching happens, and ITS will not be able to eradicate all of it. I confess that I myself have preached a boring sermon in my life. You are probably thinking, this is one of them right now. <laughs> However, that is no excuse. That is no excuse. The devil would love for you to make that excuse. Oh, this sermon just doesn't captivate me. The sermon is just not, not, the, not my style or something like that. Be careful. This passage is not about how preachers become dynamic preachers. It's not even about how they become you know, accurate preachers and preach the truth. The Bible has a lot more to say about that, and, and we focus on that at, at, at the seminary. But this passage is for you. It's for you. You have a calling on your life. Take care how you hear at the seminary, we also talk about preachers. They have a calling on their life. They're called by God. I'm going to pastor. I'm going to preach. Yes. So Tommy, anybody else preaching, I myself prepare to deliver the word of God because we feel called to this work. Well, guess what? This passage is about the calling on your life. And you don't need a seminary. You just need these stern warnings. Take care how you hear. Because boring preaching or preaching that's not my style or, or whatever is simply no excuse. So the point is that to be part of Jesus's family, to participate in this new creation that has already begun as the gospel is producing fruit among the nations, the fruit of converts and believers, you must hear the word of God and do it. But not all who hear truly hear. With the devil on one hand, distractions on the other, therefore, take care how you hear. And if you do, verse 21, you hear the word of God and do it, you'll be part of the kingdom. You'll be part of Jesus' family. Now, there is a theology 
in our world. It's very common, actually, that God is the father of all, everybody. And every human being is in the, fellow, the, the brotherhood and sisterhood of humanity. The fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, universal fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man. There are churches that used to preach something different, but now they, they affirm that. And that there are actually many ways to become a child of God. There are many saviors. There are many paths. All truth is God's truth. All, all roads lead up the same mountain of truth. All paths lead to God and these kinds of things, right? There are churches that say that. Equally, there are, it seems to me, outside of the church, those who have no interest in Christianity at all, who equally say that, right? And so the pressure is on us today. There is a cultural pressure, a cultural instinct to try to conform us into that thinking. That God is the father of all and that we're all one big part of the universal family of God. Jesus strictly challenges that, contradicts that. Make it clear right here, verse 21. To be part of Jesus' family, you must hear the word of God and do it. And so we have to make a decision every day. Do we float along with the culture and the way it's going with these new kinds of ideas? Or do we stand with Jesus and insist that those who are part of Jesus' family are those who hear the word of God and do it? I'm going to stand with Jesus. I trust that you will too. I trust that you will too. And the principal message that God wants you to hear is this. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. We're all sinners. We've all been ejected, evicted from the Garden of Eden, from the presence of God. But with the coming of the Messiah, a new world has begun, wherein he is scattering the seed of his word all over the world. And for those who hear it, they become the fruit a hundredfold. And you can be part of that harvest. You can be part of the family of God. You can sit under the king in the kingdom of God by hearing the word of God and believing in his death, in his resurrection. So ultimately, Jesus is the sower in the new age. We are the fruit that matures to a hundredfold. So that, right now, Jesus is asking you, are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? Will you put your trust in my death to atone for your sins? Believe in my resurrection and give your life from this day forward to taking heed, taking care how you listen to my voice coming from my word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow again and we confess that there are, uh, is often, often that we become casual when we think the word is commonplace, that we, we don't give strict attention as, as, as we ought. We don't, we don't grapple as uh, thoroughly as we should with the reality that when the Bible is being spoken or read or preached, you yourself are speaking to us through your word. And it's easy for us to drift in our minds, to turn our ears off. We pray you would forgive us. 
stir in our hearts this need to take care how we hear, and then fulfill your promise among us. Give us more ears then to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.